Hey, TD&G listeners, a bit of an odd episode this week. As Overman and I have mentioned before, we're interested in hearing from you guys on any of the topics we discuss on the podcast. After all, neither of us is an expert on any of this. We're just trying to muddle our way through. This episode, we've gathered clips of different people talking about what we discussed in the previous episode. I spearheaded this one, and I have to admit, my approach was a bit haphazard in retrospect. There's less of a cohesive whole here than I'd like, but we're hardly professional podcasters, and this is a learning experience. Even though this episode is going to be a bit all over, we hope you'll keep giving us opportunities to talk to you about whatever dad stuff we're working on. Thanks for listening, and also a special thanks to everybody who agreed to share their wisdom, experience, and stories this week. So, we, you and I had talked um, on our walk, we just, thank you, Clovis, that we just got back from. This is a phone recording I did with my wife, Jessica, and unfortunately also our cat, Clovis. And you have an example of a time when one of your parents stepped in, which you said was very rare because despite being a teacher's kid, they left you to fend for yourself and to live or die on your own. Yes, generally. Not in a bad way. Like I didn't feel, I didn't feel abandoned. My mom was always extremely supportive, but you were abandoned. But in, you just didn't feel that way. Right. No. My my mom was just, you know, I don't know. I mean, she, most of the time something happened at school, I had to deal with it, you know, right. and I was better for that. Sure. So when mom did step in, it was because Something had really happened. <laughs> yeah. Like this We'd one time. We'd gone off the rails. Yeah. <clears throat> like this one time. And I was in 10th grade. And I mean, keep in mind, too, I was still relatively new to GACS, yeah. which was a really intimidating place to be new, especially because so many people had been there for, I mean, over a decade, it felt yeah. like. I mean, I went to school together. there, so naturally you were pretty intimidated. Okay. Right. I was, yeah, yeah I was that, that was definitely <laughs> it. Um, and anyway, I was in 10th grade in my English class, mm-hmm. and so our teacher for some reason asked where we, if anybody wanted to share where they want to go to school. And in high school and admittedly still a little bit i was really obsessed with the northeast mostly boston um i'd visited there <laughs> oh my gosh our cat our animals are gonna fight they hold are. on oh good lord okay you you come here you come here and you you go here go yes thank you shut that door i'm sorry continue please so, I wanted to go to school in Boston. Mm-hmm. So, when our teacher asked where we'd like to go, I didn't say, like, Cambridge, like, Harvard or anything, okay? Mm-hmm. But I said Boston College because I had researched it and it looked really great. And I knew it was a hard school to get into, but anyway. So, he looked at me and said, well, in front of my whole class, well, what'd you get on your PSAT? That's not that's okay. Not appropriate. And I mean, I I don't know. I, now I would say I'm not telling you. Then I didn't have the backbone or 
or feel like I had, you know, didn't the, know you had the right to, right. Yeah. As a student to the, their teacher. And, um, so I answered and I mean, it was not an incredibly high score. It wasn't terrible by any means, but it was also the first year we'd taken it, you know, it was right. like great. And, um, and he said that I would never get in to Boston college with a score like that. And, um, I was obviously humiliated. Yeah, that's awful. Um, and so upset. And my mom went and talked to him after that. Uh, which she was not, you know, she did not often do. Right. So that was, I remember that being, my mom was livid. Do you know what she said to him? Um, I think she said, you know, that's, really really embarrassing and inappropriate you know and and also like not your role as a teacher to to tell people what they can't right. do like Literally you're supposed to kind of like you know inspire and like motivate and not be like that's the stupidest idea I've, you know you dummy you can't okay. go there so, um qu- question like new question we haven't talked about before recording this okay how would you feel about calling your mom and getting her version of that story um, I do know that after she talked to him, she he said some very nice things about me and said he did not mean to upset me, which, you know, <laughs> what, what, this to me is like one of those things I'll never understand how you could think saying something like that to a 15-year-old girl mm-hmm. isn't going to upset her. Well I mean, 15-year-old anybody, you know, I mean, That's the way to anyway, be but well I, I, I do believe him. I think he was just kind of clueless about... Uh, Ironically enough, the impact of his words as an English teacher. <laughs> but um, anyway, but yeah, no, I'm sure my mom would really enjoy sharing that. So we did exactly that. A couple of minutes later, we ended up calling my mother-in-law to hear her version of this story. My apologies for the wildly different audio quality between clips. This has been uh, a learning process. Hi, hi, Ma. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. This is um, recorded, by the way, so don't say all the bad things you'd normally say about people. Okay. Okay. Um, so the reason... Now the pressure is off. <laughs> well, extra pressure here. The reason that I am calling is because uh, it, it's to put something on the podcast, so that's why it's recorded. Okay. So, um, the the most recent episode that Grant Overman and I have recorded, okay. um, it's about times that your parents stepped in to handle a problem for you. Because the question that we had was, when is it appropriate for a parent to step in and solve a problem for a child? And so uh, we were reflecting on times that our parents did that for us that was appropriate or when they did it for us that was inappropriate, or when we wished they had. That was what we were thinking. And a sto- I remembered a story that Jessica has told me about a time that you stepped in for her that she's glad you did. Do you know what I'm talking about? She was in high school. Uh, was it when the, the teacher told her she would never get into that school? <laughs> Ah, yes, that's exactly it. So I just wanted to hear your version of the story and what was going through your head. 
Well, when she told me, I was really angry. Sure. Because I thought, you know, how dare he? (laughs) Right. And so I decided I would go talk to him, but I wasn't angry when I went to talk to him. But I told him that, um, you know, I said, I don't, I don't think you realize how that came across. Right. And I said, it, it was, it was very disheartening and discouraging to Jessica. And, um, this particular teacher never really showed much emotion. He was kind of, you know, just mm-hmm. kill all the time, either mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, but I could tell he was very upset. And he apologized over and over and said, I would never hurt her feelings on purpose. He said, as a matter of fact, I have often thought, if I'm ever lucky enough to have a daughter, I, I would love for her to be just like Jessica. Well, that's a very that's a very sweet thing to say. Yes, and and I appreciated that. I I can understand saying something that you really didn't think through, and you go, oh gosh, maybe that wasn't the best thing to say, right. or you <laughs> right. didn't realize that it was going to affect somebody like right. that. Right. Um, and of course, being uh, a parent and a colleague sometimes makes it harder to go and talk to that person. Sure. Because you, you, know, you have to be worried about the professional boundary as well as the personal boundary. Exactly. Um, but I was glad I went and talked to him because I, I hope that, you know, if something like that were to come up again, he would think before he said something like that. Right, right. Overman and I listened to all of these recordings and we recorded our thoughts about them. Here are his thoughts on that situation you just heard. Exactly what I was talking about, where you don't run in there guns blazing, and you maybe get more of the reaction that you want. Um, I I wonder what is the you know when do you does it have is it a level of egregiousness of the sin that someone commits towards your child, or what is it where you say I should handle this versus they should handle this because, or maybe how well you know the person, you know, I mean. Not to question what she did, because I don't think she did anything wrong. I'm thinking more for myself in the future, because there may be good scenarios where it is beneficial for the child to try to repair the relationship, even if they're not the one that has messed it up. I don't know. But not not, not that this is that situation. I'm just thinking in something similar. Like, this could be in the realm of those where it might happen, but um, I think that that's really good. If you, if you go in there and you give the person the benefit of the doubt... You know, and you, and you get a positive response, which maybe your kid isn't also very good at yet because they're teenagers, and most people in general aren't that great at that, and teenagers even less so, right? So, I haven't even started thinking about what it'll be like to be a parent of a teenager. There's just too much to think about in the short term since I'm less than a month and a half away from taking care of a newborn. My immediate goal is going to be to keep him alive until he's a teenager. So it's comforting for me to talk to friends who I've known from before they've had kids who now have kids. One of those friends, obviously, is Grant Overman, who I've been talking to about all of these clips. Um, But this past week, I also had a chance to talk to another friend that I know from college, Jason Toy. Okay. Uh, So I have two kids. One is uh, Kevin. He's three and a half. He'll be four in May. And then I have a uh, daughter, Claire who is going to be two in like two and a half weeks. So I have two very much toddlers right now. Right, right. Uh, and so I guess uh, kind of what Casey and I tend to try and do is we know that like constantly saying like, oh, be careful, be careful, be careful, you kind of build the sense of fear in your kids. Right. 
And so we try really hard to stay away from saying that a whole lot, unless it's like very clearly they're trying something that we know is this dangerous. Is very then dangerous, we might, yeah. Then, then we might say, hey, please don't do that. Get down. Or we might go over and stand next to them. Like, let's say they're climbing something at a playground that they're not big enough for yet. We'll try and encourage them to try things that are hard because you can never know what you can do unless you try it. Right. Uh, and so the, the, I guess that's from like a physical aspect. We generally try and let them fail. And if we think it might hurt them if they fail, we'll probably be close to them to either catch them and or assist them when they get stuck or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like, I guess, emotional or social situations, uh, obviously like when they're interacting with other children, we're usually pretty quick to step in right now because they don't have the language a whole lot yet right? Uh, to be able to express why they're maybe getting so upset or of why that other, they want that thing that that kid has. And so we're generally pretty quick about stepping in on that. Now, obviously with Kevin, our older one, when he's interacting with some of his friends and it's something really silly, like they're fighting over this one toy, we'll just be like, you guys work it out, take turns, something like that. That's something that they know the concept of. And generally speaking, we let them figure it out. Right. Even though yeah. it's not for a few minutes uh so I, I guess those are the two main examples i can think of so if you have any follow-up questions yeah what about when they're dealing with like, adults because like, as your kids get older right their mm. interactions with adults get more complicated have you ever felt like you need yeah. to step in with this adult and say like hey maybe try that this works well with him or this works well with her can you try that instead or anything like that <clears throat> Yeah, so I know that, like, so we had, we sent our kids to an in-house daycare. Uh, so Claire was there for pretty much her first year of life, and Kevin was there for two years, uh, between one and three. And I know that we would talk with Miss B, who was our daycare lady, a whole lot about, like, hey, this is what we've been doing at home. It seems to work really well for their schedule and whatnot. Uh, and so, yeah, and so I think, generally speaking, or even at, like, church, you know, we know the people who are doing teaching class and whatnot. So if there's ever an issue, they obviously can talk to us about it and whatnot. And so we're able to kind of get, let them know what works well for them and whatnot. I guess if we're with our kids. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. One second. Hold you're on. Good. My dog's you're going good. nuts. Oh, man. That's going to mess up that part of the recording. Hold on. <laughs> right. we, I can repeat stuff. After brief and humane disciplinary action, I got <laughs> so Jason back on the phone. You were talking about how at church, um, like, you know everybody there who's, like, dealing with them, and so you know how to, like, I guess, ha handle that sort of, uh, yeah. any, any conflict that might potentially arise between your child and, and an adult. Right. And so, like, I don't, so, so far, I mean, most of the reports we've gotten back from people that were kind of, like, we leave our kids with or our kids are with an extended period of time, whether it's Bible class or a babysitter and whatnot, we haven't really heard any huge issues that they've presented so far. And I think they're still at that age where they are only really super crazy with us or people they trust really, really well. Right. right. Uh, and so we have, I, at least, at least I haven't seen any, maybe my wife has a few times where they haven't had major conflicts with an adult yet. I know that last week at school, Kevin had a really hard day listening, and his teacher had to talk to Casey when she picked them up. So like, hey, Kevin just had a really rough day today. He was kept saying no, and he kept like, you know, taking toys from other kids. Uh, and so that's really the biggest thing that I have seen so far. And so I don't know if I have a whole lot of expertise yet on. Sure. 
how to handle that conflict yet between a, a kid and a, an adult, if that ever came to be. Right. Have you and Casey talked at all about what your plans are kind of moving forward? Like, is this the kind of thing that we're, you're concerned about it yet? Or is it just you've got so much on your plate right now that you're like, we'll deal with it when it gets here? Uh, I mean, probably more the second one. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit about, you know, we want to obviously help our kids learn how to uh, manage conflict with people uh, because we feel like it's a really appropriate trait to have if you want to succeed in life. Right. Uh, and so obviously if it's something that we feel like a person is maybe going overboard on something, we'll step in to assist. Or if our kid asks us to help in a situation, we're obviously going to step in and help. Uh, because I don't think you should ever ignore a child if they're saying, hey, help me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think for the most part, we're at least I know I am probably going to take more of a backseat in a lot of those situations, uh, because I think that's kind of what my parents tried to do with me, is kind of like, hey, we're here to help, but if something happens, we want you to kind of handle it, because it's between you and them, not always us and them. Uh, so I don't know. I guess that's kind of where my stance is. We haven't talked about it a whole lot, though, in case you haven't. Okay, one last question here, and and this is because you act, you have a son and a daughter, right? Um, and so yeah. this has been yeah. uh, something that we'll probably include in this episode. I'm not sure or yet or not if, okay. if it'll fit. But uh, there are some studies that talk about the ways that parents step in for their different children and that parents tend to step mm-hmm. in more for girls than they do for boys, and boys tend to be allowed to, like, you know, climb on things more or like get in trouble more. Whereas girls are stopped before they can like really reach their potential. Have you, have you noticed at all like a tendency to step in more for your son or more for your daughter than you did for your son? Uh, So it's, it's kind of, uh, sometimes I feel like, yes, we, we do. But then I'm also like, well, I can't even really remember what I was doing when Kevin was Claire's age because we were about to have Claire. And so I don't remember like exactly how we, did some of the things with Kevin and whatnot. I know that we probably let Claire get away with a little bit more at home than we did at Kevin with Kevin at his age. But I think that's kind of the tendency of having multiple children is you kind of get a little more lax on certain rules because you realize you don't really want to fight over it all the time. Right. It's not, it's not uh, a boy girl thing. It's a second child thing. Yeah. I think it's more that than a boy girl thing. I will say that I've been, like I said earlier with the uh, be careful thing, I've been really, really, cognizant i guess you could say of not saying that to claire all the time because uh, obviously i like i want to protect her right she's my little girl uh but i know that if i'm gonna say it to claire i have to say it to kevin when he's doing something right. uh i mean w- outside of the fact that she's two years younger and so she's trying to do the things he's doing so i'll you know i'll sometimes be like claire i don't know if you can do that yet i'll say things like that but i try to really uh i hesitate with saying be careful or Oh, don't do that because it's dangerous type thing. Cause like if she wants to be a climber when she starts getting older, like sweet, if you're good at it, go climb things. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to like hold her back from doing something that she thinks is fun. Uh, and so I, pro- like I said, I, pro- I, m- I might do it a little bit more with Claire than I did with Kevin, but I, I try to be really careful of not overdoing it. Right. Right. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks so much, man. That's been really good. Grant Overman also uh, knows Jason Toy, and here are his thoughts on what Jason had to say. All right, so thoughts on Jason Toy. First of all, just because my son, Zach, is about the same age as his daughter, Claire, but 
the thing I immediately identified was telling my son to get down. Those are the words I probably use the most often in interaction with my son is, why are you where you are in the world right now? And how did you get up there so fast? That's another one. Um, to the point where he'll get up somewhere in, in his way to announce to me that he has climbed on something. Uh, this makes it sound like I'm never watching him. He's always like up on top of things. So it doesn't happen, I guess, all the time. But when he does, he'll announce to me. He'll just say, how'd you do that? Or why'd you do that? That's what he'll say to me. Because that's what I say to him. I'm like, oh my God. Um, I really like how Jason put that because I, I do think that the roots of when you intervene for your children at an older age when they can't handle a difficult situation, which is kind of what we've mostly been talking about is teenage years and on, uh, has its roots in how much autonomy you allow them to get. That's a very important developmental stage at a young age. So I think being aware of it and not just across the board, protecting them from any potential harm or risk at that age. I mean, obviously, like Jason was saying, you control it a whole lot. I would say that's something that I try to work on and be better about picking the language more precisely. So kind of like he said, instead of saying, be careful all the time, although there are times where it's appropriate to be careful while you're trying something, I will tell him like, slow down. So you can still run in that area you know, where you might fall and land on the rock or we're walking on the sidewalk into daycare and he starts running and I, you can just watch when a little kid starts getting a little too fast for the amount of body control they have. And I will tell to him, slow down. So keep doing what you're doing, but rein it in, right? At least that's my idea. I don't always do that because sometimes my reaction is, oh, be careful. And I don't know that I have like a constant worry. It's just like, I, for me, it's really that I just don't want to see you fall. I know that that's going to suck and I don't want to do it you know, have you do that. And I'm going to feel bad. It's definitely more for me than him. Like I'm going to have the guilt that if you fall and bust your lip, it's not the end of the world. And, and he is a tough kid. That's my biggest thing is working on my reactions to those. Cause I want to offer sympathy and I want to be immediately, but I know that that can sometimes, I get kind of like we were talking about with, with Donna. Like if you go in your knee jerk immediate reaction, she talked about not being angry when she went in there. Well, yeah, you've got to rein in. So for me, I'm a very kind of knee jerk emotional person. And so I have to rein that in a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I love that, like, I, just having a plan for how you want to approach it and thinking about how that affects the future, I think, is it, it, it both helps your child, but I think it sets good habits for you as a parent to weigh things a little bit more, maybe, in how you react rather than just going with your gut, protect my child at all costs um, reaction. The only other thing I was thinking about in listening to him was. Something that I, because he mentioned talking to Claire and and thinking about her specifically. It's it's sort of similar, but not really. I try to, when Zach gets frustrated or mad at something, um, rather than step in and solve it for him, like I want him to do it. But I and, and this is an idea that really was my wife's, and I've I've adopted it. It's I don't know if she did it on purpose so that I would you know remember to tell myself this. But when something goes wrong, to remind him, and and I will say to him, it's okay to be upset. But don't, you know, yelling doesn't help or we still don't throw our toys, even if we're upset. You know what I mean? So to acknowledge that the feeling is legitimate. And that was something, an example of something, especially for a little boy, right? To say your feelings are okay, right? With, or if you're crying, it's okay to cry. And so instead of, oh, don't cry, don't cry, which, you know, I'm saying it sweetly to him, but it's kind of communicating that same thing. We're like, quit crying right now. It's like, it's okay. And I try to just, you know, get him to talk to me about it as much as a two-year-old can. I don't know if he knows what's going on. That may just be, again, training my vocabulary. But um, I could really identify with that with Jason, the the trying to, you know, figure out, okay, let me try to choose my words carefully ahead of time so that I can use them appropriately in the moment. I don't know how successful that is, but... 
Nothing has made me more aware of the words I choose than doing the podcast, because I actually go back and listen to what I said while I'm editing. I'm constantly amazed, and usually not in a very good way, at what comes out of my mouth. It can be incoherent or sometimes something that I just flat out disagree with, and I'm the one who said it. So it's, it's been fun getting to do that, but I, I was most excited about this next brief interview because it's someone I've known for a long time, and the context of the podcast is just so, so different from the way that he and I would normally talk. Hey. Hey. Um, well, okay, yeah, good. We're good to go. What's up? Can you, uh, can you hear me okay? I've got you on speakerphone because I'm in the, in, a, in the car. Yeah, no, I can hear you good. You're coming through clear. All right. So you just tell me what you want to do, and let's do it. You get zero bonus points for guessing who this person is. Uh, hey, guys. My name is Tyler Vickery. I am Grant's older brother, um, and that's me. And uh, um, uh, how many kids do you have? How old are they? I've got two boys. Uh, my wife and I, Katie, have two boys. Um, Hayes is uh, a little over three, and our youngest, Rowdy, is... Um, roughly 14 months. I have to admit that I was most excited to see what stories he'd come up with. I was always a bit more of a rule follower growing up, and to a degree, I think I lived vicariously through my older brother. Yeah, so um, I, I, I've kind of got two examples. Um, I remember, I believe I was probably sixth or seventh grade. I don't remember what I did, but I, it's clearly something I something i shouldn't have done we were at church and i believe in some capacity i was disrespectful to bill burton i know you remember him um and um somehow mom and dad found out about it i believe it was on a sunday morning whatever i did and then they found out about it uh sometime sunday afternoon uh and told me they said they uh, they basically gave me two options i could be punished um, uh, or I could go take the initiative and talk to him at church and apologize that night. Um, so I went, uh, went and found him at church that evening. I was extremely embarrassed that I had to go apologize to him, but that seemed to be, uh, to me, the lesser of two evils. That, that may fit into that category, but the lesson that I learned from that is it's a lot easier to admit your mistakes and admit when you're wrong and get it over with, then let it linger. Um, right. So I'm glad that they stepped in in that situation. Another one is more broad, but I remember dad telling me um, probably when I became a teenager um, that I could, I could make him the bad guy anytime I needed to. I could throw him under the bus if there was a situation that I didn't want to be in. Right. Um, Meaning if I got invited to go somewhere, I didn't want to go. If somebody asked me to do something, I didn't want to do. So I remember calling him on multiple occasions uh, in high school and saying, Dad, I'm getting asked to go to X place. I need you to say no. And he would say, you're not allowed to go. And then I could go back to my buddies and say, look, I asked my dad. I can't go. I'm sorry. And he was the bad guy. And it, uh, he stepped in to, to help me out knowing that he was the bad guy. And that's absolutely something I will do for my boys. Um, but I, I was glad that the, that that was an option and knew that he had had my back in that capacity uh, growing up. Yeah. Do you remember the the Rankins? I think was their name. I do. Yeah. Um, and was was their son's name Ty Rankin? Maybe. 
Yeah, Ty Rankin. Rankin. Uh, yeah, sorry, the Rankins are from, from ACU. The, Ty Rankin. <laughs> With, your story about Bill Burton reminded me of a time when we were getting babysat by Ty, and uh, I lost my head and like told him I hated him like he was the worst that I hoped he died or something I think I was like five or six you know like <laughs> went nuts yeah. and mom found out about it no I was older than five or six how old I don't know how old I was but um, you would have been young because I mean I was I was young yeah I was pretty young but I remember mom making me go like mom put me in the car and drove me over over to their house and stayed in the car and was like get out and go knock on that door and go apologize and I got, I got out and I went to, and I was, I was mortified. Right. But it's like, okay, you yeah. know, Hey, controlling your temper is a good thing to do so that you don't have to end up in this situation again. Exactly. Uh, that, and you know, owning, owning your mistakes. Right. They, right. Put, they forced, forced that on us at an early age, apparently. Uh, so, uh, what about your boys? What are you, uh, what are your plans? Uh, have, first of all, has this ever come up? Have you had to step in, um, for either of your kids? Um, or, uh, or what, what, how, how is this with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I, I'll preface it by saying I remember before Katie and I had kids, not her as much, but me, I would say, oh, I'm not going to be X way when my kids are here. Um, and then your kids get here, and you're exactly the way you say you wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> so I, I will say this um, thinking that this is how I probably will react in the future. Um, but can't guarantee anything. Right. Um, but at, obviously when they're young, you have to step in all the time. Um, can't, you can't let them walk up when like Rowdy right now, he likes to climb everything, literally everything. So there are some times where I will let him the stairs and I'm using air quotations here by himself while I'm directly behind him. Um, and if he falls, I can step in and catch him. Right. Uh, there's other times where I'll be a little bit further away. Um, and he, there's this train table we have in the playroom. He likes to climb up on that train table. Um, and it's only about, I'd say maybe probably 15 inches off the ground. Um, so if he falls, he's not going to fall real far. Um, I will let him climb up there and I'll watch him. Um, but if he tries to climb down, I'm not going to help him. I know that he's not, he's not going to bust his head open and have to get stitches. Uh, I'll let him work it out. And I think that uh, builds his physical ability. Um, and so with Hayes, our older one, um, uh, and my wife is a lot better about this than I am. Um, but when, when she's out with them or we're out with them somewhere and Hayes is playing with some little kids that are his age or, you know, close to his age and they'll get in a fight, we'll just let them work it out. You know, they need, they need that, um, that social, uh, they need to learn the social aspect of how to deal with their differences um, right. you know, and if they want to scream at each other and fight back and forth, that's fine. Let, let them figure it out. Nobody's going to be permanently scarred from it. Let the kids figure it out. Um, now when they get older, I will definitely give Hayes and Rowdy the option. Uh, Hey, if you want to make me the bad guy, I would love to be thrown under the bus to keep you out of a bad situation. Sure. Um, I know, I know you've got one on the way that'll be here soon and it, it, you'll, you'll be the exact same way. I mean, their safety is the number one priority. But also, um, you know, I, I think Katie and I will give them leeway. Um, we will have – Katie and I have talked about this. And uh, we will – as long as they're responsible, uh, I want to instill in them and 
Katie does too, that the more rules that you follow and the, the better you do and the more responsibility you have, the more freedom you will have. Um, right. You build trust. You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, when you take advantage of that, yeah, it's going to be rough. Um, but I don't know. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Um, that was perfect. And Thanks now so it's back to me um, and Grant Overman talking about the discussion that you just heard. Okay, yes. Uh, I no, am you're ready. good. Any thoughts on, on Tyler's commentary there? First of all, I just love hearing the wonderful voice of Tyler Vickery. It makes me, something in my soul responds. Uh, I, I actually I know that about yeah, you. Yeah, I don't. I, I and I'm that, not I, being facetious at all. It's just something I know. about like. No, you're not. I don't know what it is that uh, probably just because we grew up together and he was older and I was just like, well, Tyler Vickery is the coolest person that could probably exist. Like, there's Michael well, Jordan it, and slightly below that is Tyler Vickery, right? That, okay, that. I'm absolutely not putting that in the podcast. <laughs> um, I think it it also might have something to do with the fact that he and I are v- so very different in so many ways that it's always a bit of a surprise, I think to. Yeah. I bet it for any, yeah. Either way, like people that know him and the me. Yeah. I mean, and me, right. Although I'll say this too, is that I, I feel like he and I are very similar in, in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just, we differ in mannerism and a lot of people take that to be very, very different. That that was my, that's definitely my experience. Um, not that Tyler and I hung out, but just a little bit that he was even around. We were growing up is definitely the case. Um, I encouraging you to dump your girlfriend yeah, when you should have. I also have done that. You, for you have before. multiple times, actually, probably. <laughs> I don't know what that says more about me than it does you guys. Probably. Oh um, uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, so I, I really, that story was hilarious. Um, first of all, because that's like, you know, you, as a kid, you always think, well, I don't want to get punished, but it probably, it feels worse to have to go face it. But, Oh, you know, yeah, that's I, when he told that I was like, I would uh, give me my lumps, man. I don't, I don't want to have to go apologize. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. Right? Um, but I think, I mean, I, you hear it again, kind of. I'm seeing this theme where it's like you prepare yourself as best you can and anticipate things and, and gather to be ready in the moment. I, I will say that I definitely identify with that. I'm going to do things this way, or I'm going to feel this way about it. And then it comes, and you're like, oh wait, I just feel the same way about this as I do everything else in life, right? Or I react a different way. That has been my experience that my emotions in the moment doing something with my son, whether it's good, you know, happiness or joy or sadness or frustration or whatever have all been different in both character and intensity than I thought they would be for sure. Right. So that to me is the biggest pitfall. At least what I anticipate for myself is just like, how strongly am I going to feel about whatever, whether he's messed up or not, man. And that was like, that was my experience. Similar to what he said at the end that was about, you know, the more rules you follow, that was my dad. He's like, look, here are the expectations. You meet these without me having to be on you about them. Yeah, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But if you uh-huh. cause me to not be able to give you that anymore, it will be it will be horrible for you. There, <laughs> there will be nothing. Yeah, the re- but, but for real, though, because I'm giving you an amount of trust and responsibility, and the greater the responsibility and trust, like, the more severe the consequences, right? So... Sure. That sure. is something I'm glad for, but I can just like it it almost adds that personal level to it. Like if your kid is messed up, like I cannot believe you did that or said that to that other person. I can only imagine, especially for your dad, like and just all the dynamics between nobody listening to this or most people don't. Some will know who Bill Burton was. So I can only imagine like 
someone who's kind of right. sort an, of a colleague, an elder at but an elder, yeah, and an el- yeah, exactly. My dad was a preacher. Yeah, like, yeah, that's even worse. Like, man, you have not only done something you shouldn't do to anyone, you have now made my life potentially more aggravating. <laughs> so kudos <laughs> yes. to him. Couldn't you have picked someone I don't work yeah. with? Yeah, kudos to him for a measured response. That's that's what I'm most worried about for me. And any of these is a measured response. Um, but 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 yeah. but I do We're think also- that's a good way to be. We're getting another theme, which if we're if boys are the things that climb on things oh, that they shouldn't yes, climb on, it's universal. That's that seems it to makes be me feel better. The theme, it, it really yeah. does. That's that's <laughs> a short aside. That's one of my favorite things about being a parent. When you find out something annoying or weird your kid does, that they're not the only one who does that. Because yeah, you're just yeah. like, thank God. Okay, I didn't somehow irreparably mess you up, or I got the one kid who does this thing, and everybody else's kid never does it. So. Which is a concern, I think, especially for you and me, because we, we can be odd ducks at times mm-hmm. and several times in my life. And I'm guessing in yours, too, I found out, oh, I am the only one who does that <laughs> or who does this to this degree. Well, I've, and I'm really hoping that I impart yeah. whatever normalcy I can onto my son. I've yet to meet anyone who wore sweatpants, refused to wear anything but sweatpants to school <laughs> to the fifth grade like I did. <laughs> Although my son gets mad sometimes when I put I mean, all clothes. He gets mad when I put them on him, but more mad when the, he likes the sweatpants more than the jeans, which. We all do, but you can't blame yeah, him. Yeah, you know? but I'm, but of they're, course they're just now better. I'm thinking like, are you gonna like be okay with this, or am I gonna have to? <laughs> There's one thing where talk, my speaking of somewhere my parents should have intervened. They should have just beaten me till I dressed like a normal person. <laughs> I'm doing this for you. Yeah. Oh man, good. no, but that that's that's good stuff. I do. I I appreciate that I'm not the only person that tries to anticipate these things and also has found that sometimes you anticipate them and it still doesn't go the way that you wanted it to. All of that is, of course, true that sometimes it doesn't go how you wanted it to. And as often as we talk on this podcast about things that might go wrong, sometimes they do, in fact, go wrong. The last two people that Grant and I talked to were kind and brave enough to talk about times like that. Both are dear friends, and, well, I think their words will speak for themselves. My name is Raymond Jameson, good friend of uh, Grant Vickery here, and I recently uh, became a dad for the first time, and my daughter Jalen is is now uh, just a hair past two months old. And this is, uh, you know, a new, fun learning experience. So you're pretty exhausted, too, I would imagine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty much a constant state at this point. You know, something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. It's right around the corner. So it's a month and a half away for me. Yeah. Um, when we talked about this, this question earlier of, you know, times your parents stepped in, um, this really hasn't been too relevant for you yet because at, at two months old, literally you step in for everything, you know, they, absolutely. They do no stepping. Um, but, uh, you were talking a little bit about your, uh, about this, a conversation you had with your mom, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is that I, I don't think there's an easy way to get around it. It's like, if you talk about a time that someone stepped in and you didn't want them to, or a time that they didn't and you wanted them to, it's hard to not say that it's like rooted in some kind of regret. Sure, sure. And and although that's, you know, a, a, a negative um, experience, right? It's like as long as you don't let it become something like where you resent the, the parent, right? Or the, or, or the, maybe the parent could resent the kid. Either way, it, it's 
it's definitely if you're going for something that really left a lasting impact on you where you could share that with somebody right right sometimes it it, it kind of rides that line of of be- between regret and resent right and so I, yeah. I, how you uh, handle your regret seems to me to be whether or not it turns into resentment because you're going to have regret no matter what because like right. everybody messes up, and and everyone messes up. But this specific um, question you asked was based off of the actions of somebody else, right? Which yeah. made it a little bit uh, a little bit hairy there. And so instead of just saying something that I thought I regretted that this did or did not happen, I decided to call my mom. And I actually ended up having a pretty good conversation about it. So, and what uh, what was the event that um, you called her about? So I called her about um, a little backstory. You know, whenever I was seventeen years old, is whenever my father passed away, and he had passed away from from brain cancer. And that's to me maybe either at that moment or maybe a year or two before is whenever you start really considering your future in education mm-hmm. or your future past your standard education of high school, right? And so that was at that point of my life where I needed to really decide where I wanted to go uh, for college. And so I I didn't have much input from my mother. And by by not having much, I mean almost none. And and that was something that I wish that she, she stepped forward and did more of. And the reason that she gave me was because, you know, she had just lost her husband and that's a experience that I personally can never relate to. Right. And it's a very challenging one, especially when you have three kids and her motivation at that point was to reestablish herself as a functional human. She needed to go back to school herself. And she did, she went and got her degree, went and had a career in teaching. That's something that I'm very thankful for for that she did and was able to accomplish. But at that point, she was pretty consumed with that in her life. And I had to look for other advice, Uh, anybody that wanted to offer advice on where I should go. And this is funny. It's almost cliche. I I literally went to where my high school girlfriend was going to college. That was it. My, my high school girlfriend said she wanted to go to ACU since she, she had been 14 or so. And when she brought up ACU one time, I bought the college shirt and I wore it around high school. I was going to go to ACU. That was it. That was yeah. my decision. And so this, deci- this decision worked out pretty well for you for on, on some level because your high school girlfriend is also the mother of your child, right? Yeah. Like, so <laughs> Absolutely. On some level, this worked out. But are there any other regrets that you have about that decision? Yeah, I, I personally think whenever, and, and this is great because I think that my um, shortcomings in this experience have prepped me to give better advice for my daughter. And it's something that I, like, ever since you posed this question, it's something that I've been thinking about, like, man, this is how I'm going to handle it. Because I think that although there were a lot of bonuses from it, including the guy I'm talking to right now as, as literally one of the best people I know. And, and so many great relationships and experiences from ACU, right? It's like the, the, the great experiences don't justify necessarily the bad decisions that, that made me make that. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, like, you, you can't take the things that resulted from that decision and say, oh, because it resulted in this, it was the right decision. Operating on the information you had at the time, right? You ignore all of those, all of the, the potentially good results, right? And so, Absolutely. So knowing what you knew in high school, 
what would the right decision have been? So the right decision would definitely have been like based off of my socioeconomic level, which definitely could not have afforded ACU just on a cash basis, which right. that's not necessarily common for many people, right? But there definitely would have been other options had I even explored them. Um, that would have given me, you know, higher grants, higher um, scholarships from schools, or even, and this is one that I, I really admire from a lot of people, is going to something like perhaps a community college beforehand to eliminate some uh, beginner level courses. Right, and, then and we going have some into, friends who have done that, right, who went to we, community we do. college and then came to ACU because it's just it's, it's cheaper. ACU is a private school, and those tend to be very expensive, and, and it was, and it is. Yeah, and, and my personal belief is that like a bachelor's degree is not necessarily going to make or break you as a person, as your identity, and so you shouldn't be spending upwards of you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars on these degrees, right? And it's something that I think that like you you can definitely get a higher quality education, especially towards your like um, specialization in those. Mm -hmm. But you're talking about like early level courses like you know 101 courses you don't need to be spending top level money on that right if you can't afford it right. and and that's the the if the if is what i had to consider and i didn't and i didn't have good advice that said this is something that you might want to think about right well let me ask you a question about that because you said that your mom was going back to school at the same time so this is uh an experience that because you had it you were able to make this decision do you know that she would have given you that advice, basically, if if you'd ask? Because, again, this is something that she was just doing for the first time herself then. Well, this is what's so um, funny about it is that she was currently going through Austin Community College to then get reestablished and then go back into. And she graduated from St. Edwards University in Austin after she went through two years of, of Austin Community College. So her <laughs> her her like current experience was actually very good to to offer that advice and and she even said this and and although this became an alt an, uh, a different discussion altogether she said she offered that advice really and i told her or i asked her rather um what so why do you think that you asked that advice it wasn't it wasn't hurt like did i not listen was i not a good listener were you not talking loud enough and it became a a, a scenario where i was like you know my father-in-law was someone who offered me a lot of advice on going to ACU. Why did he trump you in saying go to community college first? Sure. Because I and, and this isn't a scenario where I didn't respect my mom, love her, or listen to her. I I have had and have as I have always had a very good relationship with her, right? Right. It's just I, I really do think that the scenarios aligned where she was going through three major events and sure. then being losing a husband the you know the the father of her kids that that he loved that she loved everybody you know if that was that was already one event on its own then also trying to make a living that was the second scenario and then mm -hmm. also she was trying to um and, and i don't hold this against her at all she it, because her current husband is someone that i love and i cherish sure. but she was also trying to find her next step in a relationship. And I think that those three things lining up the way that they did made it where, um, and again, I don't hold this against her, where she couldn't exactly be that that cornerstone of someone that's going to give you really good advice when you need it. Right. Did you find that talking to her about this, like 
now, do you feel better about that scenario, even though you may wish that it had gone differently? Do you feel like a, a sense of peace about it now that you didn't before? I do. And not only that, but I think the fact that I was able to ask her when she wasn't expecting it, right? Because I had time to think about sure. this when you asked the question and she didn't. So I called her and I was like, boom, and she had to respond to it, right? It, it caught her off guard first. And I think that you can get defensive. Uh, most people will get a little defensive whenever you're challenging their decision making, right? And I think right. that she was she went through that and she was able to process it pretty quickly when she knew where I was coming from. And I think that the fact that I was able to pose that and then process it with her, I think that it it was a good experience for both of us to let her know that like, hey, you know, I made these mistakes and I think that there are mistakes that you could have helped me if you were a better parent. And I'm going to say that pretty harshly, right? But but that's what we're kind of aiming for here. Right. It's like if, if I'm going to be the ideal parent, I will make no mistakes. That's impossible. But if you were a better parent in this scenario, you would have helped me better. And, and kind of processing through that with her, I think it was something that, uh, again, I think that I'm going to be able to have a very um, strong emotional connection to and be able to channel that whenever my daughter is in the same scenario. Yeah, right? that was actually the next question I was going to ask you is, are you worried about a phone call from Jalen sometime in the distant future where she says, hey, by the way, here's something that I really want to tell you about that I, f I feel like you dropped the ball. Man, and I am. I'm worried about that with a, with a lot of scenarios. But with this one in particular with college, I think that it's one that I'm so passionate about. Sure. And college might not be the, the right way to pose this, but I think that I what I really want from her the most is to be prepared to handle life after high school because so much of that is on rails. It's, it's so easy to go through. Yeah. It's, you know, you essentially learn a system and then, and then you perform within it. Right. But everything post high school and some people would even consider your undergraduate essentially still on rails. Right. But you want someone to be ready for that transition. Right. And the transition mm -hmm. I think is the most point, whether it happens after high school because, you know, trade school is great. There's a lot of things that can happen, you know, it, it, and if there's even a career that doesn't necessarily require something like an undergraduate degree, I'd want her to be prepared to handle that responsibility. But that that core transition, I think, is is what I focus on the most. Yeah. Because I don't necessarily believe that had I not gone for a secondary education like that, that I would be worse off. I think that the problem was is that I didn't go about it the right way. And I didn't know that. I didn't know right. I was going about it the wrong way, but I also didn't know that I wasn't getting the best advice that I should have gotten. I think that if um, I'm, I'm trying to prepare Jalen for a life after high school, the thing that I'm focusing on on the most is making making sure that the transition is successful, whether or not that is going for her undergraduate all the way up to PhD or whether it is going into a career that doesn't require that, I want to make sure that she is certain, confident, and and left with the least amount of burden possible, right? And I think that that's where some people fall into this trap of the college education is like, am I going to be left with a burden that doesn't match what my potential income would be if I go you know, through with this, that's, sure. that's something is it, is that's it a hard financially to know. responsible decision or, yeah. you know, is this going to set me, set me super far back? 
Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that is based off of like like being sure with knowing that, uh, and this is something that I struggled with is I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do, but I was like, I was told I needed to go through college. And I think that that's a, a huge flaw within the system, not necessarily judging the education system. I'm not at all. It's just there to provide a service, but, but whether or not you should um, call upon that service or not, right. Is, is dependent on whether you think that this is something that is going to benefit you financially right? right it's always assumed that you'll go to college and that assumption is not it's not necessarily the right decision for everyone especially at a private school like acu where it's so expensive to, absolutely to not know what you it's a very expensive place to not be sure what you want to do with it right it's a lot cheaper to make up your mind at community college than it is at it at really ACU. is so it really is i guess my question is that you've got this sense now like you're very keyed in to talking about with Jalen or making sure that she understands like how to be ready for this transition and how to make financially responsible decisions. And that's in part based on like something that you feel like you were not as well prepared for. Right. Yeah. So, um, is there anything that, or I guess the, the better way of stating this is you became aware of that as a parenting thing because you feel like it's something that you were not given. Right. So what are the things that what are some things that you feel like you were given that you also want to make sure that you got that you also give to Jalen? Yeah, you know, I think that this answers uh, multiple. Um, um, it, it, it answers multiple questions moving forward, whether I think that what my parents did was right or wrong. And it's that essentially like I'm really big on modeling the right life you know you can model the right behavior model model the right characteristics model the right whatever right and and i think that my father and my mother were actually good models in that regard Mm -hmm. you know i want to model um being ethically sound i want to model being someone who's a kind person right but what's so powerful i think for for especially um young kids is modeling you know, being a hardworking person who their hard work benefits their life. And I think that it's great that my wife is someone, Stormy is someone that models um, such a hardworking, um, loving person who gives, gives, and gives, right? And so I think that I think the one of the best things I can give to to my daughter is that I want to I want to model that of being someone who has a, a successful career but that has time for their family, right? Sure, finding and that balance. Finding that balance. And I think that was something that, again, I, I and, and this isn't something that I just wallow in. I, I bring it up, I and I have brought it up multiple times. It, you know, it, it was such a interesting time in my life being 17. You know, it really is like an interesting time to lose your father, right? Yeah. But to, but to be fair, I had I had uh, lost him to the terminal illness before he had died at at, at eighth grade. Yeah, and so it was like yeah. between eighth grade and being seventeen. I don't what I don't know what eighth grade is thirteen. Uh, yeah, 13, thir- 14, between thirteen and seventeen, that was when I was really losing my father, and so I, I kind of lost that model to to a sense. But something that I think I wasn't necessarily aware of enough was seeing the struggle that my mother was going for, oh, sorry, uh, seeing the struggle that my mother was going through 
and how she had responded to it. It was very powerful looking back on yeah. now that I've gone through my own struggles, right? But one thing that I want to provide for Jalen that I think that my mother and father, even you know, even though he he was in a, a very short period of my life, I think that they both modeled that um, being a hardworking person who was a good person, who's an ethically sound person, who honestly wanted to do good at all times. That's something that I want to provide because I think that that foundation really provides that self of identity um, for Jalen that sure. that I think will help her go through a hard transition like going from high school to the beyond. Right. And so I, I, and that's again, you're you're by asking me this question, you 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 put me on this. Um, process of of going through all this with my mother and we went through a lot i think that i'm i'm spitting out a lot of answers that that took along a, a three-hour conversation right right, right so yeah. it's like like <laughs> we really i really did i i i came to acknowledge and respect the fact that she did all of this because it's interesting to think that like if if i was to be in her same boat that would be you know we're talking five years from now is how old she was whenever she went through it. Right? right. It's like, it's crazy. And so I, I hope that I can model that behavior for her and make it be something that she admires, uh, through my actions and through, right. and through what I, I have done through these challenges. Right. And, and let's just say that the challenges that have been presented to me through the bad advice that I received and the advice that I didn't, if those challenges and the way that I have responded to them provide a, a decent example for her, then you know what? That's okay. That's what I, that's what I want. I want to be someone who responds to those the right way and, and hope that that's something that she can draw on later. Yeah. And, and too, you know, when, if your parents can provide for you, like you say your mom and your dad did, if they can provide for you an example of what it's like to behave ethically just in general, like in a general sense in a lot of different situations, then when you do find yourself in a situation that's a product of some bad advice, it's a lot better to handle that ethically than unethically, right? Right. Um, so it's you know it's a mixed bag. And I'm, I'm terrified of my own failure and my inevitable failures. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about those and I'm, they're constantly on my mind. Um, which right. is something that Grant and I have talked about a lot on the podcast is how I tend to obsess on what, what all can go wrong. But um, like I I met you at ACU and I've known you for a long time now. And so I guess it also alleviates, I feel like it alleviates some pressure off of me because if you feel like your your mom made this mistake and it's in the middle of this incredibly, di like unimaginably difficult time, like you were still a person who was, uh, um, you know, you were, you were a little older than us when we got there, right? You were our, our RA on, on our freshman, our <laughs> yeah. freshman hall. And you were somebody who was like there for us and a good leader and a responsible person and who became a really good friend over time. And so if, if that's what that kind of mistake results in, then I feel a lot better about just trying to, to accept the fact that I'm going to make those mistakes and then the general like live ethically and try and model what it's like to be a good person. Like, I feel like that can have some those like amazing positive results. Yeah. I, I appreciate that first off. And also I, I think that, um, based off of this, uh, these experiences that I've had, I think that 
I equally am afraid of my own failures, but not not so much whenever it was by myself and in my own head. But now I think as you're um, struggling with now is that my my failures now affect m- my child. Right. And that and that alone is terrifying. But then you think like, OK, you know, these mistakes that my mother made that might be something that's so strong that I remember 15 years later, they didn't necessarily destroy my life. And that was the one mistake that I remembered. Well, then maybe I can make mistakes along the way and I can also overcome them. And hopefully, you know, (laughs) the, the mistakes and, and the triumphs together will, will culminate into a positive life that I have um, helped provide for my child. And I think that that's my mindset moving forward. And and that's one thing that I definitely appreciate out of this very simple question that you posed to me. It's like, you know, hey, what's some advice that you wish you had, right? Yeah. But it but it, it resulted in like what 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 um essentially spawns that question is is a regret, right? Or or, or a mistake that you think someone else made, but that the overall outcome is not catastrophic and that I can overcome the same mistakes that my mother made because I'm going to make as equal or worse mistakes. Right, right. But not the same, but I will make some. Sure. And and I think that that's, that's the fun thing about this question is that I, th- I think that I know I'm going to and that I just need to, to be ready to handle those, right? I need to be ready to handle those mistakes. One last guest, thanks for sticking with us. This is the only person we interviewed whom I haven't met, but my wife has, and she swears up and down agreeing with Grant that this person is really, really worth knowing. All right, good. Okay, my name is Karen Vertel, and I work with Grant here at ACU. Um, He's asked me to tell stories, maybe if I have some, from when my kids were little or younger, we'll say, they are grown, um, about maybe a time whenever either we stepped in and maybe we regret stepping in and freeing them from feeling a consequence or the uh, reverse. So I have a couple of stories. Um, Kinley, our daughter, was not big on following uh, curfews at all. And so she um, knew that she could play her daddy to her advantage and would constantly be missing curfews and uh, I had to be the mean parent so she would never call me to tell me that she was going to be late coming in from a date or whatever we lived I should say we lived 35 miles from where they went to school and most of her social activity took place in the town where she went to school so um, constantly she was the girl never kept a curfew Um, so she really didn't pay much of a consequence as a result of, because she would get out of trouble by calling her dad. Um, I don't know how this has played out in her professional life, and she's done well in, um, since she graduated from college, and she's always done really well in, in the jobs that she's had. So maybe she scooted by and got away with that. I know that she's big on uh, curfews now, so it's kind of interesting. She's a project manager, so she enforces curfews for other people, if you want to think about it, deadlines and curfews now. So paybacks. Uh, Tanner, 
our eldest was um, probably in the third or fourth grade when he used to like to sleep until about 10 minutes before it's time to walk out the door, um, was constantly forgetting homework. Again, we lived 30 miles from school. So probably when he was in the third or fourth grade, I would bail him out and run home if I was working and pick up his homework. Or if I was at home, have to drag little sister in homework and drive 30 miles to bring him homework. Well, by the time fifth grade rolled around, we decided, my husband and I decided we were not going to do that anymore. So sure enough, the second week of school rolls around and Tanner has left homework at home. Mom, mom, please come bring it to me. So we didn't. And he got a bad grade and we thought, hey, this will stop this. Uh, Later that same week, he left homework at home again and we did not bail him out. And we thought, surely this will start this because both my kids are smart. They they know better. The very next week, probably Monday, Tuesday, or the next week, he did it for a third time. And we thought, man, this kid is never going to learn. But we did not bail him out. We stuck to our guns. We did not bail him out. He had never, for the rest of his time in, you know, elementary, middle, and high school, never forgot his homework. Or if he did, we didn't find out about it. So consequences really worked well for Tanner. Um, That's a little thing where we're talking about the whole big scheme of things. Probably homework is not the biggie. But he also now works in project management uh, for a large, giant company. And he is big on enforcing deadlines and um, does, not be- does not give a lot of uh, grace to um, people who don't meet the deadlines in his line of work. But um, he is now going to see what that feels like. He has a little kindergartner who likes to sleep until the last minute, doesn't really like to get up early. So... I'm going to enjoy sitting in the back seat watching this play out, I think, in future, in the future to come. I'm looking forward to watching that uh, to see if he will um, do the same thing with his children. So That is great. Do you, did you and your husband kind of, did you have a criteria for deciding like when it was appropriate to intervene or when it was appropriate to not have too harsh of a consequence or something like that? So I think... Um, that obviously if it would have been something life or death, we would not have stuck to our guns. I'm sure we would have jumped in. We didn't, fortunately, never had that happen. Um, but I think I'm glad that we stuck to our guns on the grade, on the homework and things like that because we would have, I think we'd been forever bringing mm-hmm. homework. I would have been doing that for Tanner his senior year, I'm sure, if we had nipped it in the bud. Um, there are sometimes that I wish that we probably would have gone to bat for him, um, that we didn't. I can think of a situation in particular, Tanner's senior year, that um, looking back now, I wish that I would have gone to bat for him with a sticky teacher situation. Um, Everything ended up fine, and Tanner was one of those kids that always took care of everything himself, everything himself. So when we said, do you want us to get involved in this? He said, nope, I got it. So we let him have it. And he paid the consequence for it. But at the time, um, we were fine with that. But now looking back, I kind of regret not not kind of going to bat for him on that one. But um, I think if you don't ever let your kids feel the pain of a consequence, you are doing them a disservice really as a parent. Right. Well, I think it's really interesting that you asked him and he said no. Yeah. 
Because I think that makes it... I think he wants to... By that time, you know, he was 17 years old, and he very much wanted to appear, I got this. Sure. Strong, that strong man. His dad's a very strong man, and so... Um, so I think he wanted dad especially to know, I, I got this. I, I, I was part of this problem, so mm-hmm. I'll fix this on my own. And he did. It, it all worked out fine. But, um, man, that was kind of hard to let sure. to let that go. I was going to say, was that kind of Was it really hard to watch him? Because I don't have to do that yet since my son's only two. Yes, it was. not really situations where I have to watch you. I mean, if I have to watch him struggle with something, it's like, you know, putting a puzzle piece in there or getting the lid off of something. It's not yeah. something where I feel yeah, like emotional it, it, angst. Right, right. And so it was hard because it virtually all the other, at least moms in the mom group, yeah, in friends group, all of us raising kids at the same time, everyone, I think, said, oh, I would have done. Man, Karen, you should have done. Oh, yeah. Oh, hard. Karen, y'all should have done this. And, and we didn't. And we were just... You know, we'd say, no, we're going to let him work this out. And then we'd go, are we doing the right thing? But I think in the end, maybe we did the right thing. I don't know if they'll ever know. But anyway, it all worked out fine. And so I guess it was the right thing. But that is one time it was really hard not to jump in and save him. Sure. So I'm going to put you on the spot again then. what Do you have one where, since you had asked him and he'd said no, do you have one where one of your kids asked you to take care of something for them you know, explicitly and you said no? And I want to know if you can remember that. And if you don't remember specific, but you just know it happened, do you remember? Was that that feel different? Was it a little bit easier? Because, no, I think you should have to go through this. So watching you go through oh, it was a little easier. Oh, I mean, I have a lot of it's. I have a lot of things I could. Poor Kinley, yeah, poor Kinley, yes. Um, but so she would ask to be bailed out a lot in high school, but we just because we had stuck to our guns with Tanner, we stuck to our guns with Kinley. Sure. Um, and she'd be mad about it, but you know, we my mom would always tell us when we were kids, you've got the same clothes to get glad in. And so we would just say, You just got the same clothes to get glad in. So um suck it up, buttercup, and move on down the road. That's, so yeah. yeah. She would ask a lot to be bailed out. And if she asked me, the answer was almost always no. If she asked her dad, sometimes he'd cave. But um daddies and daughters. That's a oh, yeah. was that it is a different to watch, dynamic. Like her kind of, you know, or was it still a little bit of you was like, oh, that's my baby, and even if it's their fault, I feel bad for them? Or is that not? Oh, yeah. Thing? Yeah, you do You do feel bad for them because, you, you know, I don't think any of us want our kids to ever feel pain. You don't. No. You would like to save them from that. But at the same time, you know they've got to go through some, some pain before they learn. Two Dads Named Grant is a labor of love, and this week it's brought to you by Grant Overman, me, Jessica Williams-Vickery, Donna Williams, Jason Toy, Tyler Vickery, Raymond Jameson, and Karen Vertel. Thanks everybody who agreed to be a part of this podcast. It means a lot to me and Grant. We really can't thank you enough for helping us out with this. And if you are listening and you'd like to be a part of the podcast, please let us know. You can email us at tdngcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys, and have a great week.